0: Acts 29, which is a church planting network that we're part of, takes uh, a Sunday a year, and they say, hey, this is Church Planting Sunday. And so if you look on the um, Church Center app, there's a link. You can go to the brochure, find out more about what that means, how you can be involved. But I'll tell you that you're here today, you're involved. You are planting the church of Jesus Christ in our county, in our city, And making him known. And so we get to participate in that. And so I was thinking about what does that mean? And I love this passage in Acts. I love the affection that Paul has for for the church in Ephesus. And then you see that. And you, you hear like, hey, he's coming to them this last time. And what is he saying to them? And so this morning I just wanted to spend a little bit of time there. As we think about, hey, what does it mean to plant the church? What does it mean to plant the gospel in in our own hearts, in the hearts of our neighbors, in the hearts of our schools, right, the places where we go, the places where we work, and so this morning we're going to talk about that. This uh, this message is unique in the Bible because um, if you know anything about Paul, he did a lot of traveling. He went on several missionary journeys, and he went and and as he traveled, he would take with him the good news of Jesus Christ, and and then people would come and they would believe that that was true. That his testimony was a true testimony of who Jesus was. And then those people would continue to gather and they would meet together. And they would hear more and more about who Jesus was in his life. And then they would look at Old Testament Scripture and that Old Testament Scripture would point to the Jesus who had come. And Paul... Being someone who had seen Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, had also known the disciples and had their eyewitness testimony of who Jesus was, would tell others, and so now you have these groups forming. And these groups didn't necessarily gather in buildings; they didn't gather. Uh, they would often gather in people's homes, and and it wouldn't necessarily be on a on a certain day, but it would be all the time. And so that's what it means to plant the church. That's what it means to hear the good news of the gospel, to let it capture your heart so much that it can't be contained in an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but it permeates your whole life. And that doesn't happen usually on the first thing, right? It happens more and more as your eyes are opened to see this multifaceted jewel of Jesus, to see not only is he perfect in his holiness, but, man, he's gracious and he's kind, Not only is he strong in his condemnation of sin, but he's gracious to the sinner. Like, our eyes are open to who Jesus is more and more every day. And if it gets old, there's something wrong. We we need to ask the question, like, why is this not appealing to me? And then we need to ask God, because he's the one who opens our eyes by the power of his spirit that would make us see Jesus and want to be like him. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to gather together as the church, to encourage one another, to make much of who Jesus is and what he's done. Today we're going to see that Paul gathers and he goes to Miletus, which is about 30 miles from Ephesus. Remember, 30 miles, you don't just get in a car and drive there. They would have to walk. They would have to get there by maybe a horse or a mule or something, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And so he gets close to them, and then he calls the elders, the, the, the leaders of the church, to come to him. And they do it willingly. And so there's this deep, you start there, there's a deep affection between the brothers there. And so Paul calls them, and and what does he tell them? He says, remember the example that I set." He says, remember the gospel that I preached. He charges them to protect the flock, and all of it is done in the context of deep relationship and love for one another and for Christ. Pray that we would see and hear that this morning. Let's ask God, Lord, would you... Reveal yourself to us in your word. We are desperate to know you, to see you, to understand you, and we can't do it in our flesh. We can't do it with just um, the application of learning. We can't do it in our minds only, we need to have our hearts transformed, to have a desire and an affection put in us to know you and to love you and to trust you. So, Lord, even as we begin to look at the words in Scripture, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Ears to hear your, your voice, your love for us, your truth. Give us eyes to see your face by the power of your spirit working in us this morning. Lord, and that all of this would be done not so that we could say, man, we we are that church, but we could say, man, we have a great Savior. That you would re- get all of the glory today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe one of the first questions you have is you're like, man, I know a little bit about church, just enough to know that uh, elders are kind of these people that are called to, to, to be pastors, and I'm not necessarily a pastor, and so then you're wondering, so what are we doing here? Well, we already talked about it. The great commission that God gives, yes, to the disciples, but also to not just the 12, but all of those that were with them, was to go and to make more disciples, to, to teach who Jesus was, to, to baptize people in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, And so that is the commission to everyone who is in Christ. And so this morning we have a lot that we can learn from what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. He gives it to the elders with the expectation that what he's giving to them, they're going to disciple others in. And they're going to make more disciples. You see, this is a never-ending thing. So if if you get tired, if you think that you're done, according to Scripture... We will be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And if that ongoing multiplying work, exponential work, is not taking place amongst us, then we have to ask the question, what, what's going on? We, have to, we should ask that together often. But we should also have our eyes opened to see that it is happening, that it is taking place. And we should be joy-filled people because we see Jesus taking a hold of hearts and lives and changing them. So this morning in verses, uh, you see the setting is in, sorry, my page got turned. The setting in 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and this is where we want to press in, what is he saying to these men? You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Jump down to verse 33. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul reminds these men of how he lived. And it wasn't just a a snapshot, right? Because I think that we can kind of, we talk a lot about pretending and performing. And we could pretend and perform for maybe a Sunday morning or maybe for a couple weeks at a time, or maybe we could consistently do it if we knew what the schedule was, and we could get our game face on for those times. But Paul is saying, listen, I lived with you for three years. And it wasn't just when we were sitting and talking about God's Word, but it was in the day-to-day. It was when I woke up in the morning and I was grumpy. It was in the, the way that I would be short-tempered with people if I'm hungry, and then I would walk in repentance. So you see, this is all of life. And he's saying, so for three years, remember the way that I lived among you. And so I realized that all of my family went over there. But if they were here, they would be able to testify to the fact that I am grumpy, that I am short-tempered, that I do a lot of things that are not Christ-like, but they would also testify that there's places in Joel where where I've seen Jesus. And so Paul's reminding them of that same thing. Remember that that if anything you saw in me that was good, it was Jesus. And so we need to follow in that same way. He said that it was consistent from the very first day for three years with them in Ephesus. He says that he was a humble servant of the Lord. Now, if you know anything about Paul, he was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church until Jesus showed up in shining glory in front of him and changed his whole life, and even called him out of uh, how he had persecuting, called him out for persecuting the church, the church that he had bled and died for. And so Paul does this huge about face, where in pride he had persecuted, now in humility he comes and he serves. And so the Ephesian church is remembering, yeah, I remember that, Paul. I remember how he served, often through tears and through trials. I think sometimes we think when, that service and joy is circumstantial. But the reality is that Paul is saying, hey, through, through the trials, through the brokenness, through um, the storms, both physical and emotional, metaphorical, but also in like the broken families and the, the hurt relationships through those trials we serve the Lord. Verse 20 it says that he was bold. There's a boldness that Paul had to to both be tender hearted but also to confront sin, to to confront where we are in error. Because that is the, in, in certain moments, that is the most loving thing that you can do, is to boldly confront, even as you are being patient and long-suffering with one another. So this is what Paul is giving them. Remember the example that I set for you. Not coveting, but content. This is not just an isolated incident in Ephesians. He writes to the church in Philippi. In Philippians four eleven through thirteen, he says, "Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." We often take that last piece, make it about what we should get from God. And the reality is that in context, no, I'm learning to, to, in whatever God has given me to be content, to trust, to be hopeful, to be joyful, to be loving. Verse 34 and 35 of our passage in Acts talk about Paul as a, as a laborer, that he worked hard. He's works hard for his own provision and for those who are with him. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2.9 says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. So again, a different place, a different church that he had planted, but it's a consistent theme in his life. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. As you read this, before you read a a phrase like remember how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. And you begin to to heap self-condemnation on yourself. Know that this is not Paul. This is the work of the Spirit of God in Paul, producing in him a holiness and a righteousness and a blamelessness. But it did produce it. And so we can't be con- content to live in our own self righteousness, to live in our own sin. We should long and desire that God would be able to, that people would be able to say the same things about us, that, that you lived in a way that was holy and blameless, righteous, not because of who you are, but because of the work of Christ in you. And so I pray that God would do that in us. And Paul helped the weak like Jesus did. Verse 35, and you may say, if Jesus said that, why don't we have it recorded in Scripture? In one of the gospels, well, we do have it recorded in scripture. It's recorded here in uh, in Acts, and so there are. I'm sure that there are some things that Jesus said that were not written down by uh, the gospel writers. He probably said, "I'm hungry," a lot. He probably said, "I'm tired." He probably said, "You guys," a lot. But this is one of the things that he said. It says, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." If we truly have been affected by what Christ has given us, if we truly recognize the grace that we've received, then we would look for ways to serve. We would look for ways to give and to bless and to live as an offering that's being poured out for the sake of Christ and making Him known. He gave and didn't receive. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10 and the end of the chapter, 31 through eleven one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the way that Paul lived. And so he reminds the people that would come and it's not, a, it's not a look at me, but it's a look at what Jesus has done in me. Because in other places in the Bible, Paul will say, I am the chief of sinners. I Listen, I know the depth of the sin in my own heart, and yet God is changing me and conforming me into something that is different. And So he reminds the church in Ephesus of that truth. So he reminds them of the example that he set. But why did that happen? Why can he say that about himself? What is the good news? What is the gospel that he he reminds them of after that? Verses 21 through 27 in Acts 20. He testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit and knowing what, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus is testified to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. It's not a, a works based gospel. It's not a gospel that's based on your ability to do any of this. To be righteous or to be blameless or to be holy. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We've tried. If you just take a moment, think about this week. Think about maybe one one circumstance where you had the best of intentions and you were going to respond correctly. You were going to be a, a good husband or a good wife a good friend, and think about how long did that last? I mean, maybe it lasted for a really long time. But eventually, you're going to come to the end of yourself, to the end of your flesh, and you need the Spirit of Christ. And you needed it in the very beginning. We need to run there before we come to the end of ourself. We need to run to Christ to say, hey, God, there's nothing good in me, but I also know that you're in me, so there's a lot of good in me. I am holy and blameless. Will you help me to walk in that? For the sake of my relationships with each other, with other people, sake of my relationships and my family, that they would see Christ, that they would know the gospel of the grace of God, that that I've been purchased, I've been redeemed. You have paid the price for my salvation, and so now I get to walk in that. Would you do that in me today? This gospel of repentance and faith. He goes on in verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And in verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see the message that Paul had that matched his life, was a message that we have been redeemed. We have been bought. We have been purchased. So now we can't live the way that we were living. We can't go about our daily lives the same way that we were before we realized that Christ had gave all for us. And so there has to be this change that takes place. And we've talked about this before, but listen, if the change takes place and we're not being explicit about why... We're going to lead people to the wrong thing. So if you are living in a way by the grace of God that is holy and blameless and righteous, then there better be words that go along with that. Words that say, listen, I love that you see that in me. But if you see that in me, it's not me, that's Jesus. And I'm so glad that he's doing that work in me. But if you just see... Joel and he's this good guy, then, then you're gonna try to do that, and you're gonna try to emulate that, and you're gonna work in your own righteousness. But I have a righteousness that's not mine. I've been purchased by a redeemer who said, You cannot do this. God himself said, You cannot do this, but I can. And so he sent a son. And his son came, and he bore humanity upon himself and he walked perfect righteousness for you and for I listen there's got to be more words to what we're saying and even the words that we use with our children the words that we use with our spouse the words that we use with our neighbors because so much of this we just it's an assumed gospel and it cannot be we need to because listen as soon as we begin to say it we, our hearts are stirred like we remember i've been purchased You can come at me with any kind of of truth about how bad I am, and I can say, yeah, I am. I'm so sorry. And yet, Jesus has redeemed me, and He's changing me, and He's transforming me into His image. And so, I'm sorry that I hurt you. But I know a God, and, and you know a God, who loves you and hasn't hurt you, who's been hurt for you, who took it upon Himself. This is... The message of the gospel that Paul preached in Ephesus. We know it because we have his letter to the Ephesians. And in verses uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, some of our favorite passages in the Bible, Paul is very clear with the message of the gospel that he presented. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the bad news. Equally true is the good news. That was who we were. But if Christ has purchased us, then verse 4 is true. But God Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's that's like you read that and you get excited. Cause yes, I I was dead. I could not attain any of this myself. I've tried, or I got so tired of trying, I just rejected it. I said, never mind. I'm not even going to try anymore because I can't do it. And we've run and we've been completely rebellious. And so we've been one of the prodigal sons. Whether it was the older son who tried in and of his own strength to be righteous or whether it was the younger son who just rejected it and said, never mind, I don't even want it. Both of them needed the father to forgive, to redeem, to restore. And so we know that the Father has done that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the grace of God that Paul is talking about. That he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And as we've talked over the last year and some change about in the gospel of Mark, this kingdom is not the kingdom that we were expecting. For some of us, not even the kingdom that we want And that's the best news that we can hear is that this upside-down kingdom is good news for sinners like you and I. That we will not reap what we have sown, but we will reap what Christ has sown. He proclaims the kingdom of God. Talks about the good king. And he declares the whole counsel of God. Paul, if you remember, was a, a studier of the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. And so now, as Christ has revealed Himself to him, he begins to take the Old Testament and point all of these things. This is who Christ is. This is how He has fulfilled Scripture. This is how He has fulfilled the law. We talked last week, thankful for Chris, and teaching us that, hey, listen, Jesus said these the whole law summed up in these two things love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And then we remember that we couldn't do even those two things. But we have one who has. Jesus has done that on our behalf. This is the, the gospel that Paul had preached. So he reminds them listen, you saw the evidence of the gospel in my life, you heard from my lips the truth of the gospel. And then he challenges them. Pay attention and be alert. Verses 28 and 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul says, pay careful attention and be alert. Listen, here's what we have. We have been given the good news, the truth of who Jesus is. We have been filled with His Spirit if we are in Christ. The Spirit of Christ is in us. And we've been given each other to remember, to encourage, to challenge, to call each other to walk in these ways. And Paul says, listen, you need to cling to that truth. You need to guard it. You need to be alert. You need to watch your own life where you move from standing in the goodness and grace of God to beginning to try to stand in your own righteousness. Because that's our tendency. That's our tendency, if you've grown up in the church, you will forget, that no, you were saved by grace, you are kept in grace, and you will always be in grace. You don't move from that that entrance, it's not just an entrance into the gospel, it's where you stand, it's where you operate, it's where you live and move and have your being. Is knowing that I could not do it, and so Christ has done it for me. Now, out of gratitude for that, out of worship to a God who has done that, now my life becomes holy and blameless, righteous, pure. But we don't do that in of ourselves. And that's not like step two, like the 101 is the gospel and the 201 is now get your stuff together. No. That's that's the beauty of it. We always stay in the 101. We always stay there. And say, God, and and yet it doesn't get old. The gospel of grace should not get old to us. It should affect us. It should affect the way that we live in a way that would make much of who Christ is. So we need to pay attention and we need to be alert. We need to pay careful attention to ourselves. How are we walking? Are we living in a way that would declare this truth? Or are we living in a way that would say that I'm taking it for granted? that it doesn't really have that much effect on me. Verse 28 says we need to be, pay careful attention to the flock. We need to talk to one another. We need to hear in each other's words, are you believing the gospel or have you moved on to something else? Are we being patient with one another and reminding each other constantly of this truth? We need to care for the precious church of God. Why do we need to care for the precious church of God? At the end of verse 28 to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. In a day and stage and time where people are quickly discarding the church of God. We do not have that option. We don't have that option. And here's why. Because Jesus paid his precious blood, poured it out, For his church. And so when we come into Jesus. We don't just come into Jesus and nature. We don't just come into Jesus and his spirit. Although we come into Jesus and his spirit. We also are grafted into the body of Christ. His precious bride. That he poured out his precious blood for. Do we take that as serious as he did? Do we pray for one another? Do we care about one another? Do we have an affection and a long-suffering and a patience with one another, for one another? Do we cry out to God, Lord, would you produce the fruit of holiness and righteousness in us? We need to protect from fierce wolves. Verse 29 talks about these wolves that come from the outside. And in a culture where this Things are shifting and changing. It's going to be more and more difficult to stand for truth. And so we need to encourage one another. We need to continue to stand. And when someone's standing and they're in a particular place where they have to stand for truth, we should be right there with them, standing, holding them up, praying for them that they would not falter in the midst of that. And then we need to look for opportunities for us to stand We need to be aware of twisted things that would draw us away from the gospel. And this one's interesting because he says it rises up within you. And so we need to compare what are we believing to what does the word say? We need to do it in a way that would would honor and glorify God. How can good things become twisted things? Well, one of the ways is wrong motivation. And actually the church in Ephesus has this condemnation against it. In Revelations 2, it says that this is a letter to the church in Ephesus, and it says you're doing all these great things, but you've forgotten your first love. Somehow this this thing that was being done out of love has now moved from that to a righteousness that's not based in their love for God and love for each other. The beauty of it is we have some evidence from historians that it looks like even that that warning was heard by the church in Ephesus and it grew back into this beautiful uh, church that loved one another and encouraged one another. I want us to take those three things. The example that Paul set, the gospel that Paul preached, and the protection of the flock and caring for one another. And look at the way that Just this this humanity that's surrounding this passage. All of this is done in the context of love. He called them and they came. They love Him. They long to be together. It says in verse 36 that they were praying together. This last paragraph says, and when He had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. That's the greatest thing that He can do. He can... Together, they get to kneel and pray to their God and say, God, would you do these things in us? And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Listen, we're talking about church planting. What does that even mean? This is the church that we want planted. This is the church that we want to be. A church that would, that would lead an example in our lives of the way, what does it look like to live holy and blameless and righteous lives? What does it look like to believe this gospel and to proclaim this gospel so clearly to each other and to our neighbors and to our friends and even to our enemies that they could be grafted in to this church with us? What does it mean to care for one another and protect each other? from the lies of the enemy and from the lies that are within our own heads and in our culture. And what does it look like to live in a way that we would weep with one another, that we would rejoice with one another, that there would be like depth of emotion and real care for one another? That's a church that we long to be by God's grace, and he's doing it. As I was reading through this this week, I was thinking about you guys, and I'm like, God, you are doing this. You are doing this in the visible church, the church that I know and see, but you're also doing it in the invisible church that I don't know yet, that you've called me to go out and find, that you've called me to share with as I'm walking on the beach and, and fishing, that you've, called me to, that you've called Otto to go into the high school and find. There's a, there's a church that we don't know yet that need to be gathering with us so that they can be encouraged, so that they can be built up in the gospel, so they can believe this to be true. And, and I have you. And you have me. And it's this beautiful gift that God's given us, right here in Cape Canaveral, Florida, planting the church together. And So I'm so thankful. But like every Sunday, we could just leave on that, but I would call us to repent. Maybe we haven't valued one another. Maybe we haven't, maybe there's been times where we've, we've thought, man, I should send a text or I should make a phone call and we just haven't because life gets crazy and busy and, and that's okay or maybe we just said, I don't really want to. This is what God's calling us to do, to be the church together and so we need to repent. Not to stand on our own righteousness like, yeah, I did call that guy. <laughs> but to stand on the righteousness of Christ who's purchased for us this beautiful, Grace. The goodness of the grace of God. The gospel of God. We need to remind one another. We need to believe it together. And so even as we repent and confess that we have not loved each other well, we have a God who has loved us perfectly. And we need to believe that. Because that's what's actually going to drive us to do these other things. If we believe that we have been purchased and loved by a perfect Savior who gave his life For me, when I couldn't pay my debt, he paid it for me. Even to the point of death, death on a cross. That's what's going to drive us to be this church. That's what's going to drive us to be the hands and feet. That's what's going to drive us to say, hey, it's actually better to give than receive. Maybe for our birthdays we start giving gifts instead of getting them. I don't know, that would be crazy and the kids wouldn't like it because they're like, hey, Dad, for 40-something years you got to get gifts and now you're telling us we have to give them. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do. But I do know that he's doing a lot of really beautiful things in us, to us, and through us. And so I'm so thankful. So today we want to walk in that repentance, that belief, rejoicing in the goodness of God today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we are so grateful. God, we're grateful that you have called us to plant this church. That cross point coast and Pineda and in the Cape are are planting planting the church, Lord. Standing on the the good news of the gospel of God. And I thank you that you are redeeming and restoring and you are making right relationships between people and you, but also people and others so that like we learned about last week, we, we actually are loving the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, and we are moving and operating in that because of Jesus in us. And Lord, we would ask that you would do more. God, give us hearts for your people, your people that we know, your people that we don't know. God, would we live lives on mission? Lives that would proclaim the goodness of Christ when someone looks at us and, and they see our faults, that we would say, yes, I, I have faults. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I have a great Jesus. Or when they look at us and they see, see the good things that we're walking in. That we would quickly say, yes, but that is only because of the precious work of Jesus in my life and what He's doing by the power of His Spirit. He's changing me and He's conforming me. And if you'd have known me a while back, you would say, man, that guy needed help and I'm getting it in Jesus. Jesus is changing me. So Lord, may we be explicit with that. May we be a people who can say that. Give us words to say that. I thank you for the example of Paul to the church, both in his life and in his message. Though we do ask that you would protect us from, from the lies of the enemy, from twisted thoughts that would get in our own heads. Lord, that we would take every thought captive and bring it to the word of God and say, is this true? Lord, and that we would have a love for you and a love for others that would be um, glorious and would point to your beautiful work. We ask this in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.